Thank you, men. They really blew it, didn't they? <laughs> Though the tuba is my instrument of choice because it's the only thing I know how to play, other than the radio. Um, I really enjoy brass. I enjoy a lot of things, but uh, really enjoy brass. If you'd give me permission to ramble a little bit uh, this morning, I would appreciate it. I want to talk about vision and goals. And probably when I address this concept with college students, it is what makes me most nervous. I went to college uh, back just shortly after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. <laughs> and. There were a lot of guys, I mean, there, were, there was a revival atmosphere there, and there were a lot of people that just really had a passion to see God use them. And I kind of came from the other perspective where, being somewhat shy and backward, I was really going to be surprised if God did anything with me. And I don't want you to live there. But there is another extreme that can be dangerous. And I almost always illustrate it with a young man in college who said he believed God had shown him that he would pastor one of the ten largest churches in America. And to me at that time it seemed kind of arrogant. Now it doesn't seem so arrogant, but it also is still dangerous. Because we can get in our minds and in our heads that God has told us to do something and not quite understand how God's going to flesh that out. And one of the things that I really appreciate about Baptist College of Ministry is that there are young people graduating from this institution that are absolutely confident God's going to use them. And there are young people graduating from this institution that are not afraid or at least they have in their heart a commitment to die if God so wills for the cause of Christ. Do you recognize, young people, that there are no closed doors if you're willing to die? And I see that passion and that heart coming out of this institution, and I, it gets me excited. Because God wants to do great things through us. And you think about just about any story in the Bible that you really enjoy, especially those Old Testament stories, Somebody was doing something amazing. Do you agree with me? Who does David think he is? Shouts for the battle, that's one thing. But go to the king and say, who is this giant anyway? I can take care of him. I whooped a lion, I whooped a bear. I can certainly take care of him. And he did. My favorite saying, yeah, boy. He got it done. And you think about Esther going into the king without invitation and finally coming to the convincement, if I perish, I perish. And the Jews go from a nation that is about to be obliterated to a nation that is writing the laws in the kingdom. 
You think about Nehemiah who says, how's it going there in Jerusalem anyway? And he is told and he weeps and mourns certain days. Goes to the king, the king says, what do you need? And Nehemiah says, well, it'd be nice if I had an opportunity to go. How many days do you need? I have no idea. Well, that's fine. Go ahead and go. Would you like some money? Would you like somebody to, to guard you as you go? Would you like some provision out of the king's force? Well, yeah, that'd all help. Okay, go ahead. 52 days later, the walls are built. I'm telling you, folks, this is the God that we have, and he has not changed. And he expects things like this to be happening. We have kind of made it a theme verse of our ministry that all the earth may know that I am God and there is none else. And if the earth is not getting it that he is God, the problem is not God. The problem is God is not finding vessels that he can use to do something exceptional that people have to stand back and say, whoa, wait a minute, that wasn't him. That had to be God. That wasn't her. That must have been her God. And our churches on a regular basis ought to be manifesting the miracle working power of God in our ministries. We ought to be seeing God move in unusual ways. I don't think we need to sit here and <clears throat> be all discouraged and depressed if something's not quite happening in the sensational way that we think it ought to. I like what Dr. Rick Flanders said. He says, you better believe God's always working. God's always working. And many times he's just looking for somebody to step through a door and trust him and believe him to do something that we can't do on our own. I've begun to say to our folks and to our staff, and especially our staff, if what you're doing can be explained by your ability, you're not doing enough. If what you're doing can be explained by your personality, your talent, your skill level, your experience, you're not doing enough because you have a God that can do much more. So I want to think this morning about some individuals in the Scripture that had dreams, had a vision, had goals. I think of Joseph. He literally had two dreams, Genesis chapter 37. Do you agree? You know the story? And his brothers hated him the more because of his dreams. And I found myself often wondering, did Joseph remember those dreams when he was plodding his way toward Egypt, probably walking the whole time? Did he say in his heart, but God, you said. Did he remember those dreams when he was serving with Potiphar? And then when Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him and he finds himself sitting in the king's prison, did he remember those dreams? I don't know for sure, but I do know this for sure, that when he came to find his brethren on an errand for his father to see how they were doing, they said, Lo, the dreamer cometh. And when they took him and purposed to kill him, they said, Now we'll see what happens to your dreams. 
So it had to be somewhat etched upon his mind. And then it's fascinating in Joseph's life that he runs into people that keep dreaming. A butler and a baker. And ultimately a king, the pharaoh. And I'm not saying there's any specific or definite connection, but it seems to me that Joseph had to say sometime in his life, I had a dream once too. In fact, I had two dreams. What's going on? And in my rambling, I hope that you pick up on some principles. First of all, I believe that God wants you to have vision. I believe that he wants you to live your life with purpose. I believe that he wants you to live with expectation. But just take it from this old, fat preacher for a minute. I've seen a lot of kids just like you, some that have been in this institution that had dreams once. And it breaks our heart to know that they're really not doing anything for God. Because they don't understand the pathway that God chooses for us to see our dreams fulfilled. My story is not a good story, and I really don't want to set myself forth as an example of anything like this because I did not live with hardly any expectations in the early years of my ministry. I had a friend that told me point blank, Zemple, if God ever does anything with you, it's more than you deserve. With that kind of encouragement, <laughs> I need to not find new friends. And he, re he really was a good guy, good friend. In fact, I just found out where he is just, just a couple weeks ago. I'm going to try to catch up with him because he is a good guy. He's going around the nation now helping churches that are struggling, churches that have split, churches that have had other problems, and he's going in, and he's doing a good job of getting them back on their feet. What he said was true. If God ever does anything with me, it's more than I deserve, but praise God, I eventually got a hold of the fact, look, God didn't save me for no purpose. And therefore, God will do something with me, and God can do something with me. In the early years of my ministry, as I was struggling in a ministry that was struggling in a community that was struggling with high unemployment houses for sale everywhere in the community, God impressed upon me whether the church grew or not, it could have world impact through the young people that came through our youth group, 15, 15 20 teenagers. And almost all of them at least had a vision and intention to serve God with their lives. And some of them are still all over the world serving God. And that was the beginning of my dreaming. That was the beginning of me setting vision that I could invest my, lives in the li my life in the lives of others and I could reproduce myself. And if I were doing something for God and those that I ministered to were doing something for God, I would be doing more for God than if I was just doing something for God by myself. Did you follow all that? So there is the issue of investing in other people's lives. There is the, there is the vision of multiplying through church planting, which God has allowed us to do in our ministry and to see those churches go on and do something for God. 
There is the possibility of supporting missionaries that are focused on the promises of God and convinced that God is going to use them to plant churches in other cultures. One of the most rewarding mission trips I have taken, I've been there a couple of times, is down in Bolivia, where a missionary we supported started 26 other churches. And I've been able to preach in a number of those churches. I've seen other of those churches. Talk about getting excited. So I want you to dream. I want you to have a vision. I want you to believe that God can do great things. Moses was confident, fascinating individual, and we don't have time to discuss everything about him, but Moses was confident that God was going to use him. Acts chapter 7, Stephen's testimony concerning Moses makes it very clear that Moses knew he was to be the deliverer. Got a little ahead of God. But I wonder what he thought in those 40 years on the backside of the desert herding sheep for his father-in-law. I wonder what he saw, thought, but then one day he saw a burning bush. And there he was confronted again with the reality at 80 years of age that God indeed was going to use him to deliver his people. And at that point, he was struggling. But God, through a manifestation of his power, convinced Moses that he was to go and speak to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Jesus Christ himself says, there was a meek man. I think about Abraham. And if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, you can, but Abraham is told that he's going to be a great nation. We know the story about how Ishmael came about. But ultimately, Romans chapter 4, it's very clear that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. And eventually, Isaac comes forth, this singular individual child in his old age. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He never embraced, he never, I shouldn't say it that way, but he never literally, physically experienced this kingdom, this nation, this land that God had for him and his people. As the stars of the sky, as the sand of the sea. And yet Abraham lived in faith. And so we see in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. I want you to notice the verbs here again, they saw them. They didn't see them literally, they saw them with the eye of faith. Oh, young people, you've been taught this, you understand this, but you have to get a hold of it again, and you have to constantly remind yourselves of this reality, that God is a God who keeps His Word and is well capable of fulfilling His promises. Your pastor just yesterday challenged you not to pray yourself out of faith. And it can happen. So he saw them not necessarily experienced him in the sense of that fact that he tangibly had a city and he had a nation and he had people and he had a land, he had a kingdom, but he, he saw it. He, he got a hold of it. He saw it with the eye of faith. Notice, faith. Notice what it says. And we're persuaded of them. Absolutely convinced. And in being persuaded of them, they embraced them. They welcomed and clung to what God had said. 
But where we're, where we're really going with this, and they said what God said. You know that God's doing something with your life when you do not superficially, and this is where I get cautious with college students, because you're young, you're excited, God's working, He's moving, He's stirring in your heart, and you are coming to convincement in many areas. And I'll tell you, there's, there's not many things that thrill my heart more than to see a group of college kids standing in front of a bus that they personally claimed. This is the God you serve. And to sing and to pray, <clears throat> and to give testimony. Well, hang on, I'll be back in a moment. <clears throat> to sing and to pray and to give testimony that the God you serve is true to the convincement that he places in your heart. It's good stuff. They embrace them, and then they begin to say what God said. And the average person looking at their lives said, you're nuts. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no city, there's no land, there's no kingdom, there's not even children. But they embraced it, and they confessed. In light of that word confess, I love the story of Gideon. It's one that I identify with very strongly, and I've preached on Gideon a number of times here in this college and church in various settings. But Gideon stands there thrashing wheat. And God manifests himself to Gideon and says, Thou mighty man of valor, and Gideon's looking it over his shoulder left and right and saying, Who in the world are you talking to? It's not me, it's I'm least in my father's house and we're no big deal in the nation of Israel. And God said to Gideon very clearly, you will deliver Israel from the Midianites as one man. You will. Gideon goes through a process, begins to see God work in his life, fire comes out of a rock. He goes into his father's house and destroys the groves that are there to false worship. The Spirit of God comes upon him. He blows a trumpet. 32,000 men respond. It seems like something, but not much in light of 135 in the enemy force. God begins to reduce his army and his numbers, and he ends up with 300. And with those 300 getting his camp there, Moving forward step by step. And God said, if you're still afraid, I love this. If you're still afraid, go and see what the enemy's doing. Gideon sneaks down there with a fellow soldier, and the Midianites are talking about Gideon and his multitude coming against them. They said, this is surely Gideon that's going to defeat us. And finally, Gideon walks back up to his army Judges chapter 7, verse 15, and says exactly what God said. He said exactly what God said. He said, come on, guys, all 300 of us, we're going to go whoop these dudes. And they did. Right? They did. So I'm saying God is certainly capable of giving us vision, but I say there is something about us. We certainly are capable of getting a superficial vision. 
And so this is ground that is sacred. It's ground that is very important. It is a life that we need to live. But I want us to notice this this morning, living with vision. There's something that I've discovered, and some of this is practical, and it can all be reinforced through these various individuals that I've mentioned and many others. David is anointed to be king in 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, he goes back to his father's house and herds sheep. What happened to the vision? What happened to the purpose? His brothers are off at war, and David's taking care of his father's sheep. And one day his daddy says, go see how your brothers are doing. He went and saw how his brothers are doing. Of course he did. It's where he wanted to be. Leaves his carriage with a keeper, shouts for the battle, says, what's going on? They tell him, and the rest is history. And David finally thinks, okay, we're back on track. I'm here, and people see the, the power of God, and they see God manifesting himself through my life, and the maidens sing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. I'm not saying he became arrogant. The Bible says he actually behaved himself more wisely. But the next thing you find is time after time, all the way through the rest of 1 Samuel, my Bible has chapter headings in different places. I don't necessarily agree with all of them, but you're reading down through there, David flees, David flees, David flees, David flees. What? And soon he's being chased by the king of Israel with 3,000 of his choices across the Palestinian hillsides. What happened to the anointing? What happened to the promise of God? He knew he was supposed to be king of Israel. He said to Jonathan, there's but one step between me and death. One step. And it's not until 2 Samuel chapter 5 that he's anointed or that he becomes the king of Israel. Wow, what a pathway. You see, young people, what I want you to get a hold of this morning from this message is that God is going to use you. If you have any willingness to serve Him, if you have any consciousness of what surrender is, if you're willing to get over yourself and let God do what He can do through your life, God will use you. But I dare some say some of you may not be realistic about the pathway. We have a vision. We say, I'm going to serve God. He's going to do amazing things with me. And I've kind of based this on Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. We won't get into dissecting all that because I just want to show you what the Lord impressed upon my mind one time. Okay, you have a vision, you have a sense that God wants to use you, and that may be pastoring, that may be church planting, that may be an evangelist, that may be a Christian school teacher, that may be a youth pastor, that may be... Did I say evangelist yet? Did I say that? Were you paying attention? I need to say that twice because that is pretty important. Should get a couple of amens here. I still want to be an evangelist. I just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> Typically, God fulfills our vision through opportunities. Sometimes they are almost unnoticed. What creates opportunities? God's commands. Listen, if God told you to do something like be a witness, 
and that he'd be with you? Do you think you ought to go out and be a witness and trust that God's going to be with you and expect to see souls saved? Sure. So sometimes just the commands in God's word make it clear to us what God wants to do with our life and that he wants to do way beyond what we can do in and of ourselves. Other times God brings trials into our lives. And those trials create a unique opportunity. Samson did not know what to do with the trials of his life. Paul did. Circumstances of life. Daniel in a lion's den. Daniel in a foreign country, purposing in his heart. No doubt his father and mother have been killed. He doesn't have a youth pastor to encourage him along the way. He has nobody to hold him accountable. Yet Daniel in Babylon purposes in his heart that he'll not defile himself was an opportunity. And many in the opportunities of life make bad choices. And the end result is we don't see God do amazing things. Sometimes it's personal advice. Mordecai, I said, Esther, how do you know about what God brought you to the kingdom for such time as this? Can't do it. Not been invited. I could die. But she finally said, if I perish, I perish. You fast and pray, my maidens and I will fast and pray, we'll see what God does. Did God do anything? There's that word again, yeah boy. Sometimes there's crises. Sometimes it seems like everything's going exactly the opposite way and we face a crisis in our life and we think, what does this have to do with anything that God showed me he wants to do? Sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes it's opposition. Brother Van Geldern was just relating again the story of this land that you've just now purchased and paid cash for. My, the journey of that land, how many years ago was it that you stood there and prayed with your men? 29 years ago. Were there times that looked impossible? Unrealistic? I'm not going to even ask you if you ever felt dumb for believing that God was going to give it to you, but you know, you just, it's like, what is this? I went to Martinsville, Indiana, March of 1993. That was my first Sunday there. It's about two years later. I don't remember the date. I don't remember the exact year. I don't even remember the time of year, but I know this for sure that we had 13 families driving up from Bloomington, Indiana, to our church in Martinsville. There were 19 Baptist churches in Bloomington. I'm not saying we were better than they were, but these churches were getting caught up into the promise keepers and different translations of the Scripture and losing their standards and their music was going down the tubes and these folks wanted a more conservative church and they were driving up and one Sunday after church I met with them and said, would you like to start a church in Bloomington? 94, 95. And to the last family, they said, absolutely not. We don't mind driving. Of course, back then, gas was under a dollar a gallon. They don't mind driving. We like what's going on here. We just aren't interested. A couple of times in the process of the years going by, a couple of men came to me and said, have you ever thought about starting a church in Bloomington? There's a lot of things down there and a lot of stuff going on and a lot of liberalism. It's the fifth per capita in the nation of homosexuality. So you ever thought about starting church? Yeah, I sure have. 
They went down, surveyed it, came back, said, ah, we don't sense that that's what the Lord wants us to do. And I can't explain it. Pretty much I just woke up one day and the Lord said it's time to start a church in Bloomington. I went, <laughs> I had other things to do. It's a bad time. Economy was lousy. Things were tight at our church. I went into Pastor Andy Gashke, who was our assistant pastor, and had come to our church openly professing that he was interested in church planting. I never had in my mind that he would be the one to pastor that church, but I said, I just sense that God wants us to start a church in Bloomington, Indiana. Would you take the lead? Would you kind of manage this? I know you're interested in church planting. If it's up to me, I'm going to mess it all up, but could you do it and see and explore the possibilities? And he got after that thing, but it, when I called him into my office and said, he said, I got to tell you something. He said, this last week, this was November, he said, I was up He'd been there seven years at that time. He said, I was up in Minnesota hunting with my uncle, standing in a tree stand, didn't have much to do except get cold and watch for deer. He said, God, I was working in my heart, and he said, it's time for you to leave Martinsville Baptist Tabernacle. He was a good assistant pastor. He was good. But how much better to have him leave going to start another church that had been on my heart for over 15 years at that point than have him just go off somewhere else and flounder around. First Sunday, they had 120-some people there. Of course, other churches were involved and came and built the attendance, but they started their church with between 50 and 60 people every Sunday. Fully paid their pastor's salary from the first Sunday on. Telling you, God can fulfill the vision, but the path isn't always what you expect. Sometimes it's God's promises that motivate us. We say, but God, you said, God, you said. And so we think that we've got this opportunity, whether it's because God commanded or God promised or God put us in a crisis, whatever the case is. Somebody came and talked to us. We say, okay, here's an opportunity. Maybe I'm the one. Another church that we started, I'm sitting in my office minding my own business, and a guy calls me, he says, this is Jeff Keener, and he says, our church burned down, and the people in our church don't want to build another church. They want us to just go join another church, but we want to stay and be a church, and we've got about a dozen of us, and we're meeting together. Do you have somebody that could come and teach, to, teach us the Word of God? We don't even know what we believe. We started sending people to them. They fell in love with a faithful servant in our church, a deacon, called him to be their interim pastor. Then he became their pastor. They bought a church for cash. Bought two houses across the street for cash. Built an addition to their church with cash. Just talked to them a couple weeks ago. They're running between 70 and as many as 125 on special Sundays. Packed out. They need to build again. It's amazing how God works. But we think, okay, there's an opportunity. I'm going to reach my goal. I'm going to achieve my goal. We tend to assume we go directly from the opportunity to the goal. But there is a process. God wants that opportunity to cause us to have a vision. What I'm saying in light of what I'm teaching, the vision isn't necessarily the same as a goal. We have a vision of the goal, but we're not at the goal. The goal is the ultimate conclusion. We're there. We've achieved it. We think, okay, I got a clear vision. 
Let's go achieve the goal. Let's get there. It's not the way it works. It's amazing how God uses trials to help us get where we need to be. Because part of the process isn't us just achieving goals. It's us being purified. That we might be effective and useful vessels for him. God's really not much interested in flesh effort, and he's not much interested in self-effort, however you want to say it. That was the problem with Abraham and Ishmael. God came to Abraham and said, that's not what I told you. You and Sarah, you're going to have a child. And Abraham said, let Ishmael live before you. Flesh works, sort of. But it causes a lot of problems. And so God brought Abraham to a place of total faith where he staggered not at the promise. God brought Gideon to total faith where he went to his men and said, we can take these 135,000 Midianites laying out there before you like grasshoppers in the valley. We can do it. He was convinced. He said what God was saying. But quite frankly, very often when we go straight from our vision to the goal, there's a lot of self, and if we ever achieved our goal outside of the trials and the purifying process, we would take credit, and God's glory would not be seen. And those trials can go on for months, days, weeks, years, decades. Say, so, okay, I've been through the trial. Now I can go to the goal. I think there's one more thing that God wants us to see, and that is that our life must be totally dependent upon him. It's not us. It's not being simply purged through the trial, but it's me recognizing that I have to get my focus always back on the promise of God. And as I put my focus on the word of God, the promise of God, however you want to say it, then God eventually brings me to the goal. Now, one more thing I want to say before we close this morning, and it is this. Some people, and I've seen this, I think I've seen it, I think I'm old enough to say I've seen it, and I think I'm old enough to say I know what I'm talking about. I've seen some pastors that maybe have a goal that someday, I, I just talked to a man not too long ago, he's, his goal is to pastor a church of 500. Now, if you believe God's as great as you say he is, and you pastor a church of 500, now what? Now what? Some of you are saying, my goal is to graduate. Okay, you graduate. And then you quit on God. Now what? My goal is to start leading people to Christ. Okay, you've done that. Now what? And so I want us to understand, and I'm a little nervous saying this to you. But there is a sense in which the goals that God puts in our life, that's not God's will accomplished. It's God's will accomplished at that point in my life, but God's will is an ongoing process. It's not the goal. If I said my goal is to be a missionary in Iraq, my youth pastor is really burdened for the Muslim people and we're getting him as many places as we can, as fast as we can, and he was in Iraq. In that country self-contained inside of Iraq, Kurdistan, and he came back fired up. 
But if his only goal was to get to Kurdistan and minister to those refugees, millions of them, open, receptive to the gospel, he gets there and he starts a church, whatever the case may be, now what? I've seen many people quit ministry. I've seen pastors quit churches because they've lost a vision for what God can do with them in that church. They get discouraged, they get defeated, they get distracted, they get careless, they get, quite frankly, lazy. Because they're satisfied that they reached a goal. God's will for your life is to constantly set new vision. Constantly trust Him for greater things. Constantly believe that He can move you one more step in accomplishing His will and manifesting His glory to this earth. Now, here's the deal, young people. You can have any vision you want to. You can have any dream you want to. You can have any convincement you want to. You can have it. But if you're not doing something today to get there, you never will. The choices you make today are who you will be tomorrow. Get it down. The choices you make today are who you will be tomorrow. I'm going to be a great soul winner, so when's the last time you gave the gospel clearly to anybody? I'm going to be a great preacher, when's the last time you preached even a halfway decent message and actually put the effort into putting it together and working on it? I'm going to be a whatever. You've got to take a step today. You've got to do something today. My point for this presentation is once the goal is reached, we must allow another opportunity to give us a new vision. We attend to assume we can go directly from the opportunity to the goal, but there's always a process every time. I don't know if I can remember any time that God has put a new goal in front of me and, and, and put a new opportunity in my lap and is like, oh, wow, this one's easy, and I just went right straight to what God expected. Always a process. God allows me to set vision, takes me through trials, causes me constantly to cling to his promises, and eventually God brings me to the goal. And then I don't stop. I say, okay, God, now what? And you move on to the next opportunity. Living with vision. God wants us and God can use us to do great things for him. But some will get discouraged, step aside, quit, get distracted, because you're not ready to deal with the process. Father, I pray that you would help us to embrace the truth that we've seen here. Help us to understand the concept. Lord, help no young person here to be discouraged with the vision, the goal, the sense of purpose that you've put in their life. But Father, I ask as well that they'd not be presumptuous and end up getting discouraged in the process that you take them through. Sometimes years, sometimes decades. And help us to understand that even in the midst of that big life purpose that you've given us, there are many goals to be accomplished along the way. 
Lord, use us to manifest your greatness, your glory to this world. Help us start by manifesting your greatness to those around us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I want to leave you with this thought. It's not always the goal, but what you accomplish on the way to that goal. That makes the difference. Lord bless you. I trust that you'll be encouraged and challenged by that.